to the boldness this Wednesday evening. My name's Phineas Beer. Joining me as he usually does is Raphael Colab. Hello, Raphael. Good afternoon, Finn. The Barolitis is on the lands of the Kulong Nation where we are recording this interview. We, we sure are. And, and uh, we should just say... Before we continue, the, the boldness is all about grabbing your human rights, not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give them to you. And today we're talking all about people having their human rights in terms of access to, well, just basic money to live, I suppose, with a new, rep with a new uh, report issued by the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence. And Raphael is going to introduce our first guest. And we're talking with Associate Professor Karen Soldatic from the Western Sydney University and Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. Welcome to the Boldness Disability Current Affairs, Karen. Thanks, Raphael. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely to meet you, Finn. Thank you for the invitation. Fantastic. So, so can you tell us what 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 has what has the dead end report found about uh, people being locked out of disability support and having to go on to job seeker payments? So, um, what the report actually does, it covers and um, the, the relationship between the disability support pension and job seeker, and tracks um, changes to the disability support pension eligibility since um, the late um, 2000, so around 2006, through to the current day. Um, and we look at how eligibility has been made harder. The criteria has been more complex um, in terms of gathering evidence and the requirements, and the assessment process has changed, and how that has resulted in a huge number of people who previously would have qualified for a disability support pension are now on a job seeker payment, which is significantly lower and has a number of um, work obligations or work for the doll obligations uh, attached to it that people have to complete. Um, so it's, it's looking at how this generates um, a new form of poverty for a large and growing group of people with disabilities in the last really 10 to 15 years. What? what? What can we attribute that 
that that rise in 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 I guess people um, moving being deemed eligible to receive one payment and having to go on another. What what can we attribute that to? Well, there's quite a few things that have happened. So in 2006, there were legislative changes that actually um, changed the hours of work allowed on the DSP. So before you could work um, up to 30 hours a week, um, either in a part-time permanent position or a, a casual position, and still maintain access to the disability support pension as long as you didn't earn more than the the earning threshold. Um, And then with that change, that was actually cut back in half down to 15 hours, which is really a dramatic increase. It didn't affect people already on it, but it affected new people um, who were wanting to apply for the disability support pension. So if they were assessed at being able to work more than 15 hours a week, they were no longer able to um, qualify for a disability support pension, even though six months before they might have been able to. So that has been fairly consistent with that first round of change. The other change that's occurred is really um, about um, what's called the impairment tables. So the impairment tables are what uh, people with disabilities have to have um, be assessed against to say whether their level of impairment is is sufficient enough to warrant a disability support pension because they're unable to work. So it's really about ascertaining uh, capacity to work. So quite a few things that have happened there. So um, the impairment tables were reviewed in 2011 and with that um, some of the areas classified as as being quantifying for a disability support pension previously were taken out and were no longer seen as being sufficient to get a disability support pension. The other thing that happened was... um, the point system on how people's capacity to work against their impairment um, had actually changed in quite a substantive number of areas. So what that actually meant is, um, you know, if you were a wheelchair user and you used a manual wheelchair and you had what was considered a level of capacity, then, you know, previously you might have got 20 points, but that lowered potentially to 10 or 15 points. So the idea with the reworking was that it focused on people's capacity to work. The other thing that happened was um, there was brought in um, a program, particularly for young people under 35, that prior to getting access to the disability support pension, you had to go through a two-year program of support with the job provider And in those two years, the idea was that they would try and find you work so you wouldn't have to go on to the DSP. But what actually happened is that often, you know, so basically what it does, it actually says you have to fail in getting a job for an extended period of time before we'll give you a DSP. So really kind of contrary to the whole purpose of a DSP. 
which initially was designed to enable people with disabilities to have security but and simultaneously go and find work. The other thing that happened um, was the implementation of a criteria, so this idea of fully diagnosed, fully treated and fully stabilised. And we know for people with disability there's a whole range of impairments that are never going to be fully diagnosed, never going to be fully stabilised and um, and never going to be fully treated because that's the nature of their impairment. So what that means is, and you can see this in the report, there's been a massive number of people who um, live with, um, you know, chronic conditions and illnesses, uh, psychosocial impairments um, that are fluctuating conditions where there never will be, um, you know, a full diagnosis will never be a fully stabilised um, condition. Um, and those people are in, are the really the largest group that have been moved on to JobSeeker. So it's a combination of things that have actually occurred. And the latest part thing is really the way that evidence is gathered. So some of you who are listening who have been on the disability support pension for a long time, you might have remembered that you went to the doctor with your Centrelink form and your doctor filled that out and then you took that form back to Centrelink. Well, now that whole assessment process has changed. There's no longer a treating doctor's report, so the guy that knows you best or the uh, woman that knows you best or the person that knows you best, I should say, you know, that um, so that person... That continuity of person that you have a relationship that knows you best, that they don't have any place to actually fill out the form to say this is what your capacity is, whether you have comorbidities and how they interact um, and how that impacts on your work. What you have to do is go around and gather all of your evidence from the required specialists, from your GP, all of the tests and reports that you've actually done and give that um, to a Centrelink assessor who will review that and make a decision based on that raw evidence. So it's this idea, much like um, the disability movement campaigned against in the NDIS, of an independent assessment. And that's been implemented uh, really since around 2015 and 16. So lots and lots of changes, and over that time, um, what it's meant is more and more people have shifted to a job seeker and you'll see that the um, success rate of getting a DSP has radically dropped and um, you'll also um, see that the um, kind of person who accesses a DSP now um, has changed as well. Now, let's go through. One of the things that you've mentioned is that for a person to go on to disability support pension, if they're under 35, is that they need to register with a job seeker network and fail getting a job. Now, what actually, how does this actually work in practice? For example, one outcome might be to get a job, but does the job network try to work with the person to develop a career path or is it a job for the sake of getting a job? 
That is a great question, Raphael. Thank you so much for answering that. It's a really important question because we know that people with disabilities, you know, when you get a job, you want a job with dignity, respect, and that provides long-term, you know, career development and growth just like everybody else. So I'm just looking for the page on the report. Um, But if you have a look in the report, we actually have a fairly extensive discussion about what actually goes on um, in in the employment sector and the way that it's funding, uh, the way that it's funded and the way in which it disincentivises in many ways um, disability specialist employment services um, and even the job networker employment services to provide that kind of um, employment that, you know, dignified um, employment or what is called in the International Labour Organisation as decent work. Um, it really works against that um, because it's one of the things that's happened over time in the, in the funding changes that's occurred in that is um, outcome payments are tied to the hours of work a person is assessed at but also outcome payments are also tied. You know, there's a what we would call in the social sciences a temporal element. So there's time limited for the kind of um, kind of support to actually um, that's required, as all of us require. Like all of us require, you know, support to really develop and grow in a job, so we can have career mobility. Um, those things aren't built into the funding system. So um, it's really the way that the job network is um, funded. It's very much on short-term gains um, rather than long-term career development. It's a really, really good point that generally when a person doesn't have a disability, they are encouraged to develop a career of some description, whereas that with people with a disability, almost invariably the outcome is at a very basic level, which does not actually empower people with a disability that will only work with someone to find a job, but we will not work with somebody to try to develop a career and a pathway or job promotions the way that other people do have those types of opportunities. That's right. And other people might have um, those opportunities because the society we live in is, is, you know, it's designed around able-bodied people. So, you know, um, there's provisions in TAFE, you know, you can access different types of courses. You don't have to worry about... um, you know, the environmental structures that might actually lock you out of um, decent um, education that enables career progression. Um, You know, you also have to have, you know, a level of um, personal resources to invest in in your education. And we know, as the report documents, that if you're a person with a disability, you know, you and your household often live, you know, in high levels of poverty because the additional costs associated with living with a disability in an ableist society. So all of those things come to play. If you went to a special school, you know, segregated setting, 
the historical curriculum um, wasn't, you know, it made assumptions that you weren't going to get a job. So that life trajectory really sets up, it's not just the employment market or the um, the employment programs itself, but that life trajectory actually sets up a whole heap of barriers to make a successful transition into the open labour market and also to, to really um, have the opportunity for a strong career growth and development. Thank you very much, Karen. What we're going to do now is play some community announcements and then we will continue the conversation around the Dead Ends Report with Karen Soldatic, Associate Professor at Western Sydney University and Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. So that's good. Welcome back to the Boldness Disability Current Affairs on 3CR on the 29th of September. We are talking with Karen Soldatic, Associate Professor from Western Sydney University and Australian Federation of Disability Organisations about the Dead Ends Report and the barriers that people are facing trying to gain access to the disability support pension in order to have income support, to have a better quality of life. Now, are there specific demographics within the Dead Ends Report that are making it more difficult for people to access the disability support pension? For example, if they were an older woman, for example, and had a chronic illness or disability, Karen? Uh, That's a great question, Raphael. So that's the one big trend that we've actually noticed in the report, that um, women post 45 in particular um, who have a chronic condition, illness or disability are less likely to get onto a disability support pension. They're actually the big growth in the population 
who are living on Job Seeker with all of these changes that historically, um, before these changes began, would have qualified for a disability support pension. So they're the they're the largest cohort um, that age bracket, which is actually my age bracket. Um, so if I got sick tomorrow or developed a condition or something like that and needed to go on a disability support pension, in fact, um, under how it operates at the moment, I would not qualify. Look, I, I actually quite understand that, Karen, because one of the unusual or a very disturbing trend in the general community as a whole, the rate of people who are actually homeless is actually older women because they have not got access to the accommodation and support systems and other areas. And I think that's part of the wider community that these type of issues of a lack of income support, it does reflect on the whole community, not just people with a disability as well. Uh, Raphael, that is absolutely right. So um, this particular cohort, as you have rightly pointed out, are the fastest growing population facing homelessness. And so much of it is about um, income support payments. And it's not just their pay scale, um, you know, the income that you receive, which is substantially different from a DSP to job seeker. But the other issue too that we know is that, um, you know, one of the really important things about being on a disability support pension is not just the higher pay rate, but actually also that you get access to a pension card. And when you've got a pension card, that means, you know, you often qualify for faster access for things around housing because it's formally recognised. There's a system there that recognises that as, as a person with a disability, there's a priority. You also, um, you know, most GPs and things um, place all your medical appointments on, um, on Medicare, you know, so you don't have to pay any um, gap in getting access to your medical appointments. We know when it comes to things like pharmaceutical benefits, um, a pension card for people on a DSP is much better coverage than people on a healthcare card. So if you think if you're someone who relies on medication because of your mental illness and you've only got a healthcare card, not a pension card, that's a huge financial cost over a period of 12 months, um, you know, that you're facing if you were appropriately placed on the GSP. That you, um, so, you know, these, it's not just the payment itself. We have to think about the package that comes with the payments. So um, even things like if you're on a pension and your pension card, you know, it might give you um, access to subsidies around um, electricity, which is particularly important in winter. Um, it might give you access to things like um, different kinds of rental subsidies. So there's a whole range of things that being on a disability support pension enable you to live the best that you can, even with a limited income, 
um, that offer far greater well-being than being on JobSeeker because of the fact that a job seeker is not just a lower payment, but also that you actually have access to lower subsidies and less benefits overall. Now, Karen, we're actually very fast running out of time. Um, what, what, uh, looking into the crystal crystal ball, do, do you think that what do you, what, what I guess what are the re- recommendations? Uh, to the to the report, uh, what what are the recommendations the report is seeking? And, and secondly, uh, is do you think there is any uh, appetite with this government for or subsequent governments for, for to actually change the system so it, it's it's fairer for people fairer for people who would otherwise be disadvantaged. That's a great question, Finn, and uh, we are very lucky in terms of this report. We have uh, the Brotherhood of St Lawrence um, and AFTO and myself um, have actually um, been lucky to work with other people to help um, use our recommendations to inform their work. Uh, One thing I do need to say quickly, Finn, is that, um, and Raphael, I'm with Western Sydney University and AFTO is a, another organisation to my own that's a co-author as well. So sorry for that confusion. Um, so some of the, I mean, if you wanted immediate change, so if we're talking about tomorrow, one would be bring back uh, the treating doctor's report, absolutely. Um, the other is um, while people are awaiting for an outcome on the DSP determination, then, you know, they should not have to be undergo um, mutual obligation conditions in any way um, because it's still being determined, um, absolutely. Um, And the other is, you know, um, a fast response. So people really need to know the outcome of those payments, of their assessments, so they can get on with their lives within the three-month period. Um, And Do you think, is there any appetite for those changes and the other changes you mentioned in the report to to uh, for government to actually f- fix fix the system so it's fair fair for the people um well i think what we saw in covid was the possibility that you can make change to the social security system but what's actually happened is we've seen those most of those progressive changes being wound back so um is there an appetite? Is there a will? Um, I would suggest probably not at this stage. Um, but we hope, what we hope is that our report can inform future thinking at all levels, so within the political realm, in the um, policy realm, so that um, people can really start to think about what is a good, fair, just um, social security system for people with disabilities and everybody so it actually enables us to live a life of decency and with dignity. And just finally, Karen, where can people people see the report if they're interested? Great question. Um, You can see the, you can download the report from the Brotherhood of St Lawrence. Um, It's up on their web page and it's free and it's fully accessible.
and we will put a link to it on our podcast, I'm sure. Thank you. Now, thank you very much for your time, Karen. It is that time of the evening for us to say goodbye. My name is Rafael Caleb. We've been and I've been hosting with Finn Mir, the Bulbus Disability Current Affairs, talking with Associate Professor Karen Soldatic from Western Sydney University. Thank you very much for sharing your insights into the Dead End Report. Thank you so much, Raphael and Finn, for organising this interview. It's really great to be here and be able to explain what's happening to Social Security. Now, we're going to... The Boldness will be back on the 20th of October. Go out with a song, Access, Access, by Johnny Crescendo. Goodbye. Yeah.